Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Let's give our tech team a round of applause. They have done a great job this whole series, haven't they? Man, they're so good. Good morning. Uh, oh, let's try that again. Um, good morning. There you go. Good. I'm so glad that you're here today. Today we're in part three of our message series at the movies where uh, the point of the whole series is so that we can begin to see how God speaks to us through the, just the ordinary things in life, you know, like movies. And today we're going to look at the third movie in this series. Um, we're going to look at the movie Transformers, The Last Night. Now, when I was a kid, I actually didn't have any Transformers to play with. Um, my, not my friends had some, and lots of, in fact, I know lots of kids today still have Transformers, uh, but I, I didn't have any, and the reason I didn't have any was because, honestly, it just looked like a lot of work, <laughs> you know? I mean, that you, take, you take this truck, and then you got to, you know, bend it, and shape it, and move this, and twist that, and turn this, and read, and do this, and then all of a sudden, you're like, after like 20 minutes, like, voila, you got a robot. I honestly, I just wanted something a little easier to play with, okay, you know? like a ball, you know, or a bike, or, or a cape. I'm like, what kid doesn't want a cape, right? Okay, so I didn't really have any Transformers because I just want something a little bit easier to play with. Um, but the truth is, I think some people, some people think that Christianity is a lot like Transformers, that it sounds like a lot of work, you know, that I've got to, you know, change this, and I've got to reshape this, I've got to change this part and turn away from doing this, and then after I do all that, those kinds of things, you know, voila, then finally, I'm a good Christian. And, and, and really, I think sometimes we think that, shouldn't Christianity just be easier than that? I mean, when Jesus comes in our lives, like, shouldn't we just, like, automatically be changed? I mean, shouldn't from that moment, I just be just automatically transformed into someone who just never cusses a, a, again, or, you know, never gets angry, or, you know, never feels jealous, or, you know, that I always smile whenever I'm sad, and that when I pray, terrorists all over the world will finally find love in their hearts. I mean, come on. I mean, now look, if you've been a Christian longer than, you know, like six hours, like, you know that's not how it works, okay? Now, when someone becomes a Christ follower, spiritually, a miracle does take place. Because when, when we become Christ followers, you know, um, we're forgiven of all of our sin, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts, and our eternal destiny is changed from hell to heaven, okay? That is miraculous. But changing our behavior, that's a process. All the rest of it, that is a process. And it's this process of God changing our behaviors that that's what God wants to speak to us about through the movie Transformers, The Last Night. Um, now, in the movie, the Transformers, they had protected the earth, and they had saved mankind. But in this movie, those who once were good are now at war with humans. They're trying to take over the earth. And they seem like they are, have switched sides because they are now trying to take the earth and transform it into a replication of their home planet, which was previously destroyed. And, it, and it's, this, it's this seemingly switching of sides that I think God wants to speak to us today and communicate to us about this movie. Because look, what is so confusing 
to non-Christians about Christians is that we so often turn away from the God we say we trust. Let me say it again. What's confusing to non-Christians about Christians is that we so often turn away from the God we say we trust. And and I'm telling you, it it, it sends a very duplicitous message. Um, And our dilemma is that this is that when Jesus comes in our lives, changing our behaviors, it's a process. It's not instantaneous. And just like the movies, tran- movie Transformers, sometimes it can seem like we are actually doing the opposite of what we really want to do. And I, th- I thought, look, I think most Christians, most people who want to become Christ followers, like, they want to be the person God wants them to be. Like, we want to be kind and good and thoughtful and generous. And we want to be the ones that don't keep giving into the same sin over and over and over and over and over again. Like, we, we want to finally, like, move past that and move on and become the person that God always wants us to be. But our dilemma is we get, we get stuck and we feel trapped because we keep giving into that same thing again and again and again. But what if I were to tell you there's a way not to do that? What if I were to tell you that God is going to show us this morning a way that you and I can take whatever sin that we so easily give into and not give into it any longer? And so that we can accelerate forward in that process of changing who we are and that God could change us. I mean, that would be something, wouldn't it? So go ahead and pull out your message notes and let's look at it. Okay? And let's start by asking this question. What's God telling me through this movie about how my life can really be different? Well, here's what he's saying. Here's the first thing. First thing God says is that I need to understand how the cycle of temptation really works. I need to understand how the cycle of temptation really works. See, in the movie, part of the problem is that the Transformers, including Optimus Prime, like he's their leader, they have been operating on incomplete information about how their home world was destroyed, okay? Now, I'm not going to give away any, any plot spoilers, but the truth is, we sometimes operate on incomplete information about how temptation and sin actually works. See, I think most of us think that, well, sin works like this, like, like I see something that like looks really good, or I see an activity, that, something that looks really fun, I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway, and that's sin. Well, yes, but that's a really incomplete way of looking at it, because if that were true, then overcoming sin would just simply be a matter of willpower. That I could just find myself in that situation where something looks good, or it looks like it's fun, and that if I could just exert enough willpower in that moment, then I could overcome it, and I could say no, and I wouldn't sin. Well, if that were true, then don't you think we'd have done that already? I mean, I know people who have like, are incredibly disciplined, literally, they have iron for willpower, and they still sin. And maybe you've tried the willpower route in your own life as well. Maybe you've, you've promised God, like, okay, God, I will never do that again. You've promised God, you've promised yourself, you've promised your spouse, you've promised your boyfriend, you've promised your girlfriend, you've promised your parents, you've promised your friends, you promised, 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 you would never do it again, and then you did it again. And sometimes, like, the next day. 
Well, why? Because overcoming sin is not just a matter of willpower, okay? And God tells us that in the Bible. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, and when he writes, his point is, he's trying to tell the readers that God is not the one that actually tempts people, but it's in his explanation that he helps us understand what the cycle of temptation really is and gives us some insight in how we can overcome it. So look what he says. In James chapter 1, beginning verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, and I want you to underline this part, by his own evil desire. By his own evil desire, he is, and underline this, dragged away and enticed. We're going to come back to each one of these. Dragged away and enticed. Verse 15. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Underline, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, underline this, gives birth to death. So in here, we have the cycle of temptation, okay? So let's look at it. It's in four stages. Let's look at the four stages. And there's a little blank space on the side of your bulletin. If you, you want to, you can you know, write down a, a diagram of what I have here on the TV. So the first stage in the cycle of temptation is my desires. It all starts with my desires. And here, in, James tells us that it starts with our sinful desires. So these are desires that are basically self-serving. Um, they're all about us. It's things that we know are wrong, but yet we want them anyway. Now, here's the thing about sinful desires. They're different for every person. You know, for one person, the one they give into a lot is, you know, like lust. Or another person, it's jealousy. Or another person, it's rebellion against authority. Or, you know, another person, it's self-promotion. Or another, it's obsession with money. But the point is, the desires are different for different people. But, get this, our desires are also different at different stages in life. Okay, think about that. The things you struggled with as a teenager are different than what you struggled with as a young adult, which are different than what you struggled with when you had kids, which are different what you struggled with than when you were an empty nester. So not only are the desires different for every person, but then they're different for each person at each stage of life, okay? But the point that he's trying to make is this, is that all sin starts with desire. It all starts at this first stage with my desires. But then it moves to the second stage, and the second stage is the bait. It moves to the bait. Now, in the verse, I had you underline dragged away and enticed, okay? That's actually, in the original language, that's actually a fishing term. It's used to describe when you dangle bait in front of a fish to entice it to come out of its safe retreat to take the bait so that it can be dragged away. So it's talking about bait here. So look, when it comes to you, have you ever noticed that whatever it is, whatever your desire is, whatever your sinful desire is, that there is always an opportunity to give in that desire? No matter how different our desires are, there's always an opportunity to give in to it. So if your desire is lust, that there's, no matter what website you're looking at, there are always like, an inordinate number of like teaser scantily clad ads at the bottom to look at there's always that enticement that if your 
if, if, your, um, if your temptation is anger, that there's always somebody that's around you that just seems to just pick and rile you up, that if your, if your temptation is to drink too much, that there's always people offering to, hey, come out with us after work or come meet me at this place, there's always alcohol served. Have you noticed that if your temptation is to overeat, that there's always somebody bringing you dessert? I mean, have you ever wondered why nobody brings you asparagus? Because that's not very tempting. There's always somebody there offering you bait. Because look, the devil will make sure that there's always a bait that matches your desire. That's true. Okay? The third stage is this. The third stage is the choice. It's the choice. Now, in this verse, James changes metaphors. He says that he talks about it gives birth to sin. So he goes from fishing to giving birth. And so I, I, mean, I guess he just want to make sure he included both men and women in his analogy here. But he says that when you give in to your desire, it's basically like making the choice to conceive a child. It's, it's a choice that you make. Now, sometimes sin doesn't really feel like you're making a choice. Sometimes it just feels like a reaction. You know, like when your kids, when like... They just push your buttons and push your buttons and push your buttons and push your buttons until finally you just you know, blow up and lose control. Or kids, like when your parents, they just go on and on and on and on and on until you finally just lose it and you become disrespectful and angry at your parents. <laughs> Look, it sometimes feels like sin is not much of a choice, but it's more of a reaction. But the reason it feels that way is because you never chose to react any differently. It's still a choice. You just have to choose in advance to react differently. But regardless, the devil makes sure that there's the right kind of bait at the right, kind of, uh, at the right time to tempt you to make a choice, and when you sin, you choose to make it, okay? But then there's the fourth part, the fourth stage. The fourth stage is the consequence. It's the consequence. And so Paul says that that's when sin gives birth to death. Look, and don't get hung up on the, like, when it's full-grown part. Um, it doesn't mean that, like, sin has to grow up. It, it just simply means that sometimes it takes a long time for you to see the depth of the consequence of a sin. But look, sin always has a consequence. Where that consequence is distance from God or distance in relationships that you have or whether it's a legal consequence or financial consequence or a spiritual consequence. Look, every sin has a consequence. And the ultimate consequence for sin is that it separates us from God permanently. So what does God want us to do? Well, you would think that God would tell you that the place to break the cycle of temptation is here. It's at the choice. that, Like, if I could break it right here, then I would never make a choice so that I would never sin. You would think that's where God would say is the best place to break the cycle of temptation. But that's not what God says. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. In fact, it tells us that we need to break it in two other more effective places. And those really are our next two points today. So write this down. Number two is this. Don't go near the bait. Don't go near the bait. Look, in the movie, look, the reason the Transformers are at war with humans is because they want our planet, okay? And so... 
our planet is the bait. So if the Transformers weren't on our planet, they wouldn't be at war with humans. And if they weren't at war with humans, there wouldn't be a fifth Transformers movie. I mean, now clearly we can't have that. So here's the deal. Our Heavenly Father tells us that the best place to break the cycle of temptation is here. It's at the bait. Because if I can break it and never be exposed to the bait, never have the bait, then the cycle stops. It breaks at that point. And that's what God's trying to tell us. So, okay, let me give you an example, okay? Um, let's take sexual sin as an example, because I'm, nobody in this room has ever struggled with that, okay? So let's just take sexual sin as an example, okay? And by sexual sin, I mean anything from looking lustfully at someone to pornography to adultery and literally everything in between, okay? So let's just take sexual sin as an example. And here is what God says. In Proverbs, God is talking to a young man about how to avoid an adulterous woman. Look what God says in Proverbs 5.8. It says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Look, and, and this passage isn't being sexist. The same would apply for how a young lady should respond to a young man who's only got one thing on his mind. God says, don't go near their path. Don't even go near their house. Just stay as far away as you can. Basically, don't go near the bait. Look at the next verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Just flee. Just run away from it. All right, I got a funny story here. Um, when I was in graduate school, <clears throat> um, I, the girl I was dating at the time, you know, we were just over at her house one evening. We were just, you know, watching TV, you know, just you know, hanging out. And, um, you know, we were sitting on the couch. And I don't know how to explain it other than this, that I just had this feeling come over me, like, in that moment, I was super attracted to her, and I knew if I stayed, like, what might happen, and in that moment, I'm telling you, God brought this verse to my mind, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I was like, I got to flee, and I literally... <laughs> And I jumped off the couch and I ran out the door and I jumped in my car and I sped off and I didn't stop till I got home. I had a true story, not exaggerating even a little bit, okay? But look, what I'm telling you is I had to remove the bait. I had to, get, not one calling her bait, but you know, what I'm being, so, I had to get out of there. And so, you know, and I wonder, I wonder what would have happened had I stayed. I wonder how my life might be different had I not broken the cycle of temptation like God says. You know, the same is true for you. I mean, it's what you've got to do. You've got to just simply remove the bait. And, and look, here's the thing. If you don't have some sort of, like, ironclad protection on your phone, on your kid's phone, on your computer, on your devices at home, literally on iPods, on every electronic device, I'm telling you, you're just being foolish. You're just allowing way too much bait to come before way too many eyes. You need to change that immediately. Look, and if you need to make decisions uh, to not go out after work because what happens after work gets you in trouble, 
then remove the bait and quit going out after work. Go home. All right? If you need someone else to do the grocery shopping because bad stuff just falls into the basket, okay, then let somebody else do the grocery shopping. I mean, whatever you got to do to remove the bait. Look, if you need to just walk out of the room because there's someone else in the room that just riles you up in that moment, then you need to walk out of the room, remove yourself so that you can come back later and talk it out when you're calm. So look, for you, whatever it is, identify whatever the bait is for you and remove yourself from it. That's the way you break the cycle of temptation. There's a second way. Here it is. And this is actually our third point this morning. Ask for the gift of seeing the consequences. Ask for the gift of seeing the consequences. I mean, this is so incredibly powerful. Um, In the movie, Optimus Prime, he's the leader of the Autobots. Those are the good Transformers. He comes to a place where he realizes, get this, that it was his actions that ultimately led to the destruction of his home planet. That basically, it was something that he did that led to the destruction of his home planet. And if he had only known what the consequences of his actions were going to be, he would have chosen so incredibly differently. I mean, how many times have you said that kind of thing in your own life? If I had only known then what I know now. If... If I had only known how this was going to turn out, I would have chosen so differently back then. And so basically what God is saying to you and saying to me is like, look, you need to break the cycle of temptation here when it comes to the consequence. This is the place that you want to break the cycle of temptation. And isn't that why James warns us in the Bible? Isn't that why God warns us about sexual sin and to flee and to not go near the door of their house? Because look, more than anything, more than anything, our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to learn things the hard way. More than anything, your Heavenly Father wants you to understand and and know that if you make this choice, that that there's going to be so much pain and so much hurt and so much damage and so much destruction and so much shame and so much remorse and so much regret and so much much of I wish I had never and if I had only known that. God says, look, there's so much that I don't want you to learn that way. And so know what you need to do? You need to ask God to help you see what is the future consequence of my present action. Ask God for the gift of being able to see what that consequence is. Say, okay, God, show me. If I, cho- if I make this choice, what is going to be that consequence? Because if I can understand what that consequence is, then I'll realize that I don't want any part of that bait. Let me say it like this. This is what I want you to write down. When I see the ugliness of the consequence, the bait doesn't look as attractive. I mean, think about it. The person who has been burned by an adulterous affair, that's a person who is super careful about boundaries with the opposite sex, right? It's the person who's been scarred by alcoholism from his or her childhood that has a very healthy respect for what alcohol can do. 
Here's the person who had an absent father as a child that tries to make the most of every moment they have with their kids or with their grandkids. Why? Because they've seen the ugly side of what consequences can do. And so you know what? That bait just doesn't look as attractive. So what, you sh- what should you do? Say, okay, God, God, please show me the consequence now before I make the choice over here about that bait over there. That's what you need to do. Ask God to help you see the end result of where your present choices are leading you. Because if you can know now what you're going to experience then, you'll make very different choices. Okay, now, check it out. Here's the twist. Just like God can show you the, the consequences of bad choices, ask God to show you the consequences of good choices. Say, okay, God. If I were to make this choice, if I were to really trust you now, what would my life look like in a year? What would my life look like in two years, three years, five years? What would my family look like in ten years? God, if I were to trust you and make this choice now, what would the consequence be for the good in the future? You know, if you were to trust God financially, what might God do in your family over this next year? If you were to trust God and decided to work through your marriage issues rather than run away from your marriage issues, what might your your marriage look like in a year? What might your family look like in three years? What if you decided to trust God and work less and give more of yourself to your kids and to your spouse and to your family and to your grandkids? Then what would your family life look like a year from now? What would it look like three years from now? Five years from now? What if you decided, okay God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to start reading my Bible on my own and not just rely on what I get on Sunday morning. How much different would your life look like in a year? What would it look like in five years? Well, what would be true of you in ten years if you were to make that kind of a choice? What if you were to take that step of faith that you know God has asked you to take, but you've just been afraid to take? What if you were to just take that step of faith? What would be different in you? Okay, God, show me that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.